Hi there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 428 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans here for your listening pleasure, joined as I always am. And this time they're actually there. This time they're actually joining me. Sam Klein and Donald Wine. Sam, how are you doing today? I am great. I am joining you today from a uh, hotel room in Greenwich, Connecticut, probably Connecticut's most thrilling city. Uh, I'm not sure what the oh, I can hear it in your voice. Hartford. Yes, uh, so I'm uh, I'm I'm here for uh, for for work travel, which is weird, but uh, that's that's the news. And I uh, got to spend this past weekend with a whole bunch of my uh, college friends at uh, one of our fraternity brothers' weddings. So that was uh, it was a great time hanging out with Duke people. The because you guys will appreciate it, and I assume that the listeners who are familiar with Duke basketball games will appreciate it too. They, uh, so they, they had a band, they were playing the music and everything and the power went out. Uh, so we were in, they were in the middle of some song. Everyone who was on the dance floor just continued singing the song and the drummer kept drumming to the beat so that we could keep it going. And then the song ended. And uh, then we started up every time we touch and we went through all of every time we touch, I nice. guess, acapella plus drums. Uh, and then the power came back on and we just kept the party going. So, uh, so don't worry. We still got to it. We just, uh, we just had to have the power go out. I love it. That is funny. And Donald wine joining us from an airport, Donald, where are you at? I am at Miami international airport on my way back home from El Salvador, where I was last the last four days, uh, for the U S men's national team game. Uh, it was a wet one, a soggy one, but I'm here on like an 11 hour layover and thought it was a good time to get on and talk about some Duke basketball. Hey guys, our roster is finally set. Let's talk about it. Yeah, it certainly looks like it is finally set. As, as folks who listened to the previous episode know, uh, Donald and Sam were both very busy. And so I had to get on and yammer uh, way too fast. I, I was talking too quickly uh, about uh, Jacob Grandison joining the Duke Blue Devils. Jason, now- yeah. Jason, I haven't listened to it yet still somehow, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm the fact that you think you talked uh, too quickly is shocking given that it was like a full length episode. So I can't wait to find out what you said. Well, I, I believe me, it was some high level, very smart stuff. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I have to trust you in lieu of uh, other evidence that I haven't consumed yet. So, well, I, I'm, I'm guessing that most people listening to this episode already heard me talk about all the very important things that Jacob Granderson brings to the table, but I'm gonna let you guys jump in now. I've got a little bit more. There's a couple other things that I've that I've dug up and that I've found that I want to mention about Jacob Grandison joining Duke. Uh, but, but Sam, just so you know, my, my theorem is that he will be the starting um, wing for the Blue Devils. Not, I, I think starting small forward. You know, I'm not sure if John Shire is going to use positions the way Coach K didn't use positions, but Grandison will be, I believe, the starting small forward, at least initially, uh, because I think it's going to take Tyrese Proctor some time to get up to speed. And as we've mentioned in the past, he is not coming to Duke immediately. He has to clear, he has to get visas and all that other kind of stuff to clear, you know, immigration. And it may take him a little while. So he won't be joining the team as quickly as Grandison and the other freshmen join the team. In fact, most of them, I believe, are already on campus. Almost all of them are already on campus. Donald, I'm going to come to you first from the airport. Tell me how excited you are about Duke adding what looks like a starting two-way sharpshooting 6'6 wing who is 24 years old as I said on the last podcast he is one month younger than Jason Tatum 
that's crazy when you think about it. it also means Jason Tatum could possibly be a super senior, uh, and he's also first team All NBA and in the NBA Finals. But uh, we've, we we'll talk about that uh, down the stretch. But when it comes, yeah, to by the way, that's I that's think... a great podcast topic. <laughs> the one guy. <laughs> Tatum or Zion, that'd be a, a, it'd be a tough, like right now, the guy who could still be on the team technically, who you would want, uh, I don't know, Tatum or Zion, it'd be a tough call. I mean, Zion was at graduation, so I mean, if he ha- if he wants another year of eligibility, I will gladly give it to him, as I think all of Duke Nation will be. But let's talk about Grandison. I think the experience factor, as you mentioned, Jason, is there. He he can do both. Like you said, he's really good on defense. He you know can score, but he's not going to be called upon to score a lot for this team. He's not going to be called on to be like, you know, lead our team in, in offense or anything. But I think there's a stat that's interesting about him. Uh, he was one of four players last year from a major conference that shot 40% from three, 50% from two, 80% from the free throw line with a 10% assist rate. That means on 10% of his possessions, he was responsible for an assist. That means that he's able to not only put the ball in the hole, but he can also move the ball around and get it to teammates. So uh, I really like that because Again, that combined with his experience level, you partner him in the backcourt with Jeremy Roach, who's going to be experienced. You're looking at a backcourt that's really, really good and also one that can withstand any pressure that any college basketball team will will give it this year. So I think that helps reduce the learning curve of the freshmen. They don't have to worry about freshmen leading the way on defense. We have a couple of guys that can lead the way for the team and, again, provide that leadership on offense. I like sort of looking at the the profile and looking at the timeline here that his name already appears on the goduke.com roster. Presumably he's headed to Durham very soon if he's not there already, which means that he has time, like you were mentioning, Jason, probably begins the season as the starting shooting guard or one of the starting wings, has time now to get used to Jeremy Roach and Derek Whitehead, figuring out how they're all going to work together in the backcourt. I don't know that I say that not thinking that there are, you know, potential like, uh, you know, playing style issues, just that it takes time to develop that kind of rapport with the, with the teammates. Um, but as you said, he comes with a lot of experience. Experience is probably the most important thing. Forget the shooting, forget the defense. Uh, he's, he's old, he's experienced, and, he, and he's going to bring sort of a more credibility, I think, to this team that is littered with new and also young players. Uh, he, of course, is a new guy, but he has lots of experience. He played uh, for a couple of years at Illinois in the Big Ten, which has been, you know, we've talked about one of the best uh, basketball conferences in the country. Illinois, not necessarily the the top of the conference, but he has experience. Yeah, but playing. wait, wait, wait. Uh, remember that that just really quick, that Illinois team was a top 15 team last year. And two years ago, his first yes. year on them, they were top five, like all season long. They were he was so, on a, he was on a, a final four contender both his years at Illinois. Right. So all of that to say, it's great to bring that kind of experience. And so hopefully he and Jeremy Roach have notes to trade about what it's like to to play on these types of teams. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, we we talked recently about how there's a, a little dearth of of experience on this Duke team, guys who have actually been like, you know, in this program. It's really like Jeremy Roach is the only, you know, super experienced guy uh, who's been who's been on the Duke roster who's going to get playing time. So presumably Jeremy Roach is a captain. We had talked, I think, when when Kale Catchings and Ryan Young committed to Duke that that maybe one of those guys would get slotted in as a captain just because you have more experienced guys. But Grandison's going to play more than either of 
um, either of those transfers. So let me let me go back and say that I think that it's possible that Jacob Granderson becomes one of the captains this season if John Shire is in, is inclined to have two guys be um, be captains for this team. Of course, Shire familiar with the with the Illinois program, but um, so I, I assume that there's. Uh, that there are knock-on effects of, of Grandison committing. And, and like you mentioned, Jason, not forcing Tyrese Proctor into a starting role early, I think is going to be great for his development personally, uh, given how accelerated it seems like the timeline has been here. We also talked around Tyrese Proctor uh, about his, his international team experience, which, uh, which Grandison also brings. So I'm loving mostly the experience that he's bringing to the program. Yeah, I was going to mention the international experience, the fact that he is technically Finnish American and has played for the Finnish national team um, through his grandmother. Um, but I, I think, again, you guys know me, I harp on the fact that international experience is something that is very unique and it brings a lot of skill sets to the table. And Grandison has that experience. So I think, again, tying in with some of the guys that we do have that have Team USA experience as well, I think that's going to be really, really helpful for this team. All right, so I want to give you guys some stats. Sam, you talked about the fact that, you know, he and Roach and Whitehead can work together. I think part of that working together over the summer is getting to know where guys want the ball. Where are they most effective when they get the ball? I want everyone to be on the lookout for Jacob Grandison in the corner. There are some crazy stats about how good this guy is at shooting corner three-pointers. From one corner this past season, he hit 48% from three. That's a huge number. From the other corner, and I don't remember whether it's right or left or left or right, but, but from one corner, he was 48%. The other corner, 63%. That is just a stupid number. On three-pointers, that is, I, I, I can't even tell you how valuable it is to have a guy who's going to hit 50 to 60% on corner threes. And with the gravity the gravity that comes when Jeremy Roach drives into the middle, when Kyle Filipowski, Derek Whitehead, Mark Mitchell, when they bring the ball to the, when they're penetrating toward the basket, it draws the defense in there. The defense has to come stop that. It is going to open up corner threes and Jacob Grandison is going to be standing there just burying teams with that shot. The other stat, God, I love this one. So last year for Illinois, he scored 287 points, not a ton of points. You know, he was a little less than, 10 points per game, 287 points he scored for them. One of these advanced st statistics, metric, you know, sites, whatever, keeps track of how many points the guys you guarded scored. So Grandison scored 287. The guys he guarded scored 123. He's scoring more like two and a half points for every point the guy he guard scores. So it's actually 2.33, two and a third. That's an eye-popping number. I got news for you. <laughs> if you do that, you beat the bejesus out of the other team. <laughs> so, I mean, I just, the guy's length, his footwork makes him a really switchable defender. He's capable of guarding one through four. He gives Duke so much flexibility because of that. Um, you know, his ability to, to switch, his ability to play multiple positions. And, and one thing about his defense I want to mention, he's not a stat stuffer. He's not someone who's going to get a lot of steals or get a lot of block shots. He's just someone who uses his fundamentals uses his smarts, uses his footwork to be really effective as a team defender. And the fact that he can show some of that, teach some of that to the youngsters on Duke is just, you know, there's no way to discount how important that is. We've mentioned he's 24. Emil Jefferson's only 29. 
I mean, this guy's the age. He's pretty much the age of an assistant coach. Jason, to your point about the defense, one of the things that I think we're all sort of curious about when it comes to John Shire's leadership of the team is the way that he puts the defense together and, and what kinds of switching patterns he runs, how they handle ball screens at the top of the key or, or at the elbow. And having a guy like Grandison on the team allows Shire probably to be more flexible and allows him to maybe put the freshman in more advantageous positions to be, you know, a, a, a little more uh, aggressive on defense because he can, because uh, he can lock up so many different types of guys. It's just, a, it's a great safety valve for Duke to have uh, no matter what kind of defensive scheme Shire wants to run. So, you know, with so many new guys coming in, I think there's a lot of unknown about the way that Duke plays defense. Hopefully Jacob Grandison's experience and his length and his athleticism will, will make it easier for those Duke freshmen to transition to playing in college. Jason, and also those numbers that you mentioned, the fact that he scored, you said 289 or whatever, give or take a few. And how many did he, did he allow on defense? 123. So, 287 scored, gave up 123. 2.33 points for every point he gave up. So cool. So what that also means is that no one's going off on him, right? Like, it's not like that guy, you know, whoever he's guarding is going to have a good day on offense. The fact is that he may, you said he may not, you know, stuff the stats, but at the end of the day, your job is to make sure that your opponent has a very bad night. And every most times when Jacob Grandison lines up across you, offensively, you're going to have a very bad night. And I think that is that is the key because, you know, you can stick Grandison on, you know, one of the best players on the team, especially in the backcourt. And if they're not going to have a great night, that means that you're already at an advantage against that team because someone else is going to have to step up. And from there, we have other guys that can pick up the slack. Hey, guys, I got one more thing I wanted to mention about him, and I, I'm interested in hearing your reactions to it. I, I've thought about this a little bit. The, the other guys that, for the most part, were being connected to Duke um, that, you know, we talked about potentially bringing in to, uh, you know, if Trevor Keels didn't return. We we're talking about A.J. Green. We we're talking about Isaiah Mosley, uh, guys who were more scorers. Um, Grandison, you know, as we've said, is not that. He, he's someone who hasn't, didn't average, you know, even 10 points per game despite being a starter um, on, on Illinois last year. Is there something to be said for the fact that this is a guy who's not going to demand the ball? This is a guy who's not going to be a big offensive threat. This is a guy who's going to do the dirty work. He's going to play good defense. He's going to knock down the open shot and help you space the floor a little bit. Is that, is that maybe better than an A.J. Green who is probably going to come to Duke and look to score 15 to 18 points per game? Sam, what do you think? I think so. And, and other than the being able to step out and create his own shot a little bit, the guy you just described was Theo John, right? I mean, experience, exactly. yeah. size yeah. at his position, defense, leadership, like the, all the, all the intangibles that Theo John brought, I guess I'm assuming that Jacob Grandison brings the same thing. And I guess they're about the same age. So uh, yes, I, I, I think this could work out really well for Duke. Am I concerned that Duke might not have enough scoring only if you think that all these freshmen that are coming in, these, these very hyped freshmen are not going to be able to pull significant weight in the, in the scoring category, but we've seen time and again, Duke is able to bring in these star freshmen, whether they're Paulo Bancaro, Jason Tatum, Zion Williamson, whoever, those guys can take the scoring load pretty quickly. That's probably the part of their game that translates the easiest to college, especially for guys like Lively and Filipowski who are big, where they're, 
you know, it's not like they're going up against guys that are all of a sudden going to be so much bigger than them. They're, they're seven footers that can score in multiple ways. Tariq Whitehead's pretty big for, uh, for his position. So I expect those guys to be able to score where they struggle. Typically, I'm not, I, I don't know if this will be the case for those guys, but where they struggle is in, you know, having a more sophisticated offense and being able to switch on defense with each other, being able to communicate. If Duke is, if those three guys are playing with Grandison and Jeremy Roach in the backcourt, hopefully they're able to bring enough of that experience, composure, uh, know-how about the college game that it, it helps mask whatever inexperience is, is on the floor with them. Well, and, and the other thing, it's going to make the stat game a lot more fun. Usually impossible. Usually when we do the stat game, like there's, there's stats where you just know for like scoring, like last year, we were all like, Paulo, Paulo's leading the team in scoring. I I have no idea. I'll tell you right now. I have no idea who's going to lead this team in scoring. I can make a really good case for Derek Whitehead, but I can make a case for Kyle Filipowski and Jeremy Roach. And Derek Lively. I don't think think Lively leads the team in scoring. I think, but, but, you know, you're right. You can still make the case. Yeah. You can make the case for it. It's it's kind of crazy coming into next year, um, and it's and it's very exciting, and we're gonna have a lot to talk. It about. does feel, Jason, like one of those years where, and this doesn't happen for Duke very often, but it could be one of those years where five or six guys are averaging double figures for Duke because it's not like Duke has so many overwhelming scoring threats. They have a bunch of guys coming in who are very good scorers, guys who either can create their own shot, who are big, who are shooters, whatever the whatever the skill set is. So I wouldn't be surprised if Duke has, and maybe I'll, I'll put this in the stats game. How many guys, uh, how many guys on this roster average 10 points a game this season? Cause I think you could imagine seven or eight of them in a, in, in some world. I mean, they, they won't get enough playing time for it, Yeah, but, yeah. but that, but if you were to try to identify who those guys would be, um, there are enough of them that on any given night, so many of these guys could, could score 20 points, you know, if hey. they, if they had, if they had that kind of day. There will be games where Ryan Young scores in the teens. I guarantee you he's that talented and offensive player. And he's probably only going to average 12 minutes a game. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you think about it in terms of positions, right? Because like you said, we're going to have people rotating in and out, right? You're not going to have – I don't think Grenison is going to start every game. I don't think Therese Proctor is going to start every game. I don't think Ryan Young is going to get 10 minutes every game. Like everything's going to rotate. And if you look at positions, one, two, three, four, five, if you can get 10 points a game out of those positions and get two off the bench, that's 70 points. You're winning most college basketball games. If you average 70 points a game, we've seen that over the last few years when we have guys that can score a lot of points. But to close the book on Grandison, I think you were talking about relating him to Theo John a little bit. If he has a third of the dog that Theo John had in him, (laughs) we are in great shape because – and this is no distant Theo John, but Grandison is expected to play more than Theo John was expected to play. Much He's going to be in a position where guys are coming to him and not having to react to someone coming into the lane necessarily, right? Like Theo John was a shot blocker. He, he would clear the decks if he needed to, but someone had to challenge him to do that. Everyone's going to be challenging the point guards in every single play. Everyone's going to be charging the, 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 the shooting guard in every single play. And Jacob Grandison has an ability to affect the game way more than Theo John could just because of the fact that he's going to see the ball cross half court every single possession that he's on the floor. That's going to hopefully make him more. Again, if he has some of that dog, just that that mentality to be an enforcer or just be a guy that says, hey, not today, not in this house, we're going to be in great shape. 
By the way, last thing really, really quick. And we've gone on, we've gone on so many different tangents here, <laughs> but that's what we do. Uh, there are people out there who after Trevor Keels declared, which came only hours after AJ Green also declared that he was staying in the draft. There are people who were panicked. They were like, oh no, what is Duke going to do? And there, and those people who, you know, a few days later heard that Tyrese Proctor was coming. were like, yeah, I'm still not so sure. John Shire, I, like dude can do no wrong for him to pull out a player, the caliber of Jacob Grandison, who fits the Duke roster, the way he desperately needed to fit the Duke roster. It, it is literally like John Shire is choosing what he wants from the college basketball world and getting it every single time. It's, it's just, uh, you just have to tip your hat to the guy who's yet to coach a single game officially as the head coach of the basketball team. And has had to, I mean, he's, he's had to recruit a lot of guys to this team. If you, oh, yeah. you look, look at this roster, look at how many, I, I'm, I'll, I'll just pull up the, the roster as it's currently uh, constituted. Guys who are new for this season, Derek Whitehead, Derek Lively, Jalen Blakes was here last year. So that's, he, he's coming back, says Jeremy Roach. Hey, it would take less time to name the guys who are still here. Yeah, exactly. Tyrese Proctor. Yeah. Okay. So fine. The guys who were the guys who were sticking around from last year: Jalen Blakes, Jeremy Roach, uh, Stanley Borden, and Spencer Hubbard. I think that's those are the only returning guys. Everybody else yep. is new on this team. Two scholarship uh, guys and two walk-ons. Yeah. Uh, wow. Whitehead, wow. Lively, Proctor, Catchings, Grandison, Shoot, Young, Reeves, Mark Mitchell, Kyle Filipowski. I don't know if we mentioned Max Johns, who's who is appearing as a uh, as a graduate transfer from Princeton. I don't right. know if we've even talked about him yet. All of those guys are new. All of those guys, uh, guys that John Shire has brought in. You want to talk? I mean, you could you could take a negative spin on that and say it's a it's a shame that Duke has so much turnover. But most of those guys are are leaving for the NBA, uh, or they're realizing that that they're not getting the playing time and they want to get playing time somewhere else. Like this is just how college basketball works nowadays. Yeah. It's a shame. We don't get to see the same guys year after year after year, but man, John Shire has reloaded this roster in a way that uh, I think most coaches would be pretty jealous of. And Jason, you were saying that a lot of people were kind of panicked when we lost out on Keels and we lost out on green, or at least didn't get a chance to really go after green because he stayed in the draft and kind of figured out what we were going to do. Look at how people are reacting to Jacob Grandison committing, not the Duke people, everyone outside of this bubble that we call the Gothic Wonderland. They are all like, oh, crap. Duke's got the person that they need to really fill their team out. Now they're looking at us before they're looking at us like, oh, maybe a nine, 10, maybe eight, based on how John Shire's coach, because again, no one's ever seen him coach a full game as the head coach of Duke University. Now everyone's got us pegged in the top five because Grandison is that good and also fits this team as well as well as we think um if he can fit this team as well as we think this team is a team that can shoot for the stars and, and try to hang a six banner next year well we have many more months of speculating and talking about the duke roster that is to come for next year and how all these guys fit together and all that other kind of stuff but we're going to take a quick break now and when we come back from the break it's time to talk nba draft again we will once again be joined by jay billis and this time we're talking about the big man in the middle, Mark Williams and his NBA future up next on the DBR podcast.
So we're back from the break and it's time to look ahead at the NBA draft once again. And as we've been doing throughout this process, Jay Billis, the great Jay from ESPN and Duke legend is here to join us. And he is going to be talking to us about Mark Williams, Duke's uh, seven foot center who has been shooting up the NBA draft charts. Uh, let's uh, let's go now to our conversation we had just a few days ago with Jay Billis about Mark Williams. All right, Duke fans, we are back with Jay Billis again to talk NBA draft. On today's episode, we are going to dive into Mark Williams, of course, who just finished his stellar sophomore campaign for the Blue Devils. The center had had an outstanding season, uh, scoring points in the paint, pulling down rebounds, and in particular, blocking shots. Jay, I think I want to start there on Mark Williams can you tell me a little bit about how his shot blocking prowess is going to translate in the NBA? He, he, he compares favorably to a guy like Rudy Gobert. Uh, he's got a wingspan of like seven, 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 eight, something like that. And his standing reach is like nine, nine. So, I mean, he's right at the rim without even jumping. Uh, so he shot 78% uh, for the season and uh, had close to a hundred dunks and led division one in dunks you know so he's a big time lob threat and when you when you look at those all those dunks that he had um there's only like six or seven guys in the draft in past years that had those kind of those kind of numbers guys like anthony davis or uh, bam Adebayo, um yudoka azubuki guys like that uh so that on the offensive side um he can really run he's got great hands he's a big time lob threat but on the defensive end, which you asked about, he, he, he blocks and changes a ton of shots with his timing, his length, um, his athleticism. Uh, and, you know, the shot blocking, he, he, he blocked three shots a game, but he changed so many of them. And we don't really have a stat for that. But when you watch his tape and, and obviously watch him play, uh, he's a real presence or, or around the rim. And, uh, you know, he moves his feet pretty well. Uh, he is not a, you know, he, he's a great straight line runner. So rim runs, getting up and down the floor, uh, going both, both directions, changing ends. He, he's big time. Uh, he, he did have some issues being put in pick and roll situations where his lateral movement, uh, people would attack him. But part of the reason they did that was to get him away from the basket. Uh, so they tried to put him in a lot of high pick and rolls and in the slot, uh, Carolina did that to him, um, and I think those are areas where, where he'll, he'll improve over time. Uh, but he's got, he's got every, everything you want in a big guy. Uh, he's not a perimeter big, but he shoots well from the free throw line. He shot what 75%. I can't remember the exact number, but he shot well over 70%. So he, he, I think he's going to improve in that area where in the future, he's going to be able to consistently knock down a 17 foot jumper. I, I, you know, you can't, it's hard to, project right now he doesn't really project as a guy who's going to knock down three-point shots at the nba level but i don't put it past him uh because of his ability to to shoot free throws that's something he's going to have to work on it's not a natural skill that he has right now uh but you know with with mark williams you kind of use the 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 word yet like he doesn't do that yet uh but i i I think he's you know, he's got the ability to consistently knock down a mid-range jumper and that makes him even more valuable. 
I think as a Duke fan, my inclination is to believe that since Lance Thomas made a long NBA career out of shooting threes, that any guy with the the hustle and desire to do it can figure out how to become a three-point shooter. So I guess to that point, Jay, uh, is that something that Mark Williams is going to have to develop to have a long NBA career? Or do you think that being 17, from, 17 feet from the basket and under is going to be a way for him to be a serviceable big for eight, 10 years? Oh, he'll be more than a serviceable big. He'll be a, a game-changing big guy with his shot blocking, his ability to run, uh, the fact that he can move at his size. Uh, so, you know, for him to be able to run out and set a screen and then be able to roll to the basket, uh, you know, right now he's not a pick and pop guy, but, but he's still young and there's a lot of, a lot of room for improvement there. Uh, but he, he's going to be a really effective NBA player for a long time if he stays healthy. Uh, so, you know, the Lance Thomas comparison is a good one from the shooting standpoint. But he and Lance are, are much different players. Uh, you know, his, his value on the defensive end uh, is, is really, really high. Uh, and the fact that he can run and you can just lob it up there, he's, he's very good. He's a good offensive rebounder. He averaged close to you know, seven, eight rebounds a game. Uh, playing, you know, playing alongside Bancaro is a good rebounder. Um, so he, he's got, he's got a lot of ability and, uh, and, you know, he's, he's top 10 talented and I wouldn't be surprised to see him taken, you know, taken in the top 10. You know, Jay, you just hit on the thing I wanted to ask, um, the way you describe him, uh, you know, an absolute defensive force, a guy who shows the ability perhaps to be able to knock down jumpers from the perimeter as well, a, a rim running lob threat. Why isn't Mark's stock higher? Probably because of the shooting piece that uh, the game has changed so much that, uh, you know, a guy like DeAndre Jordan was taken too low in the draft. And I don't think you'll see that with Mark Williams. I think he's going to be valued much higher. But DeAndre Jordan's had a really long, productive NBA career. And, and I, I see that for, for Mark. You know, I think he's got the chance to be a, a, a great NBA player. Um, is he going to be like, you know, it depends, like, it depends how you value Gobert. You know, he's been defensive player of the year in the NBA a number of times, three times, maybe. Um, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, uh, and I think Williams has that, Mark Williams has that ability uh, that we could be talking about him in the future as NBA defensive player of the year. Uh, and so, it, it's sort of like we were talking about uh, on another another segment about Paolo Bancaro, like saying, okay, well, look at all the things he does offensively. His defense doesn't match his offense yet, but that's not going to keep you from, from drafting him really high because he's going to be a really good NBA player. And Mark's offense does not match his defense yet. And but his defense is next level. I mean, he's got a 12% block rate. And uh, and again, that's the, the the changing shots too is not factored into that. Um, but he's a you know, he can finish um, and and all the different all the different aspects we've talked about on the defensive end. Um, what he does do is big time. What he could do uh, if he improves in certain areas just adds on to that you know, really high floor that, that he has as a, as a player to prospect. You know, a lot of NBA draft picks 
you, you try and project what they'll be in a few years. But, I, you know, if Mark, you know, I, I, we've talked about it feels like he's a late lottery kind of pick. There's some pretty decent teams that, you know, miss the NBA playoffs that are in the lottery that that Mark could fall to. How quickly do you think he becomes an impact player in the league? You know, I, he, he is a sophomore, so I guess he's a little bit older than a lot of these other guys. Do, do you think that he's, you know, is this a guy who's who's in the running for the all-rookie team from his very first year in the league? It depends, it depends on the team situation. Um, if he goes in there and he's able to play big minutes right away, uh, sure. Yeah, he could be he could be an all rookie player because of his defensive capabilities. And, um, you know, it, 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 and that's a really good question. Like, it, you know, when you start talking about what a player could be versus what he can do already, what he can do uh, puts him up there right away. Uh, if he adds what he could do uh, to that, um, you know, you're looking at a, a high value pick, uh, especially where he's slated to go. Uh, and I, I do think he'll be a top 10 uh, he'll be, he'll be right at, right around the top 10, you know, whether it's nine or 11, what difference does it make? Um, but, you know, you're comparing him to guys like, what do you do if you've got Keegan Murray from Iowa and, and Mark Williams on the board? Uh, do you go, you know, you go with, with, you know, what you think of Murray or how, how much potential Mark has? Um, those, those are the really hard decisions. Um, you know, or if, if Jaden Ivey of Purdue falls down a little bit, what do you do? Uh, those are, those are the harder decisions. You know, one thing I wonder about him is what do you think Mark Williams improved the most while he was at Duke? Uh, you know, this is a guy who barely played the first half of his freshman year. You know, reflect a little bit on his Duke career. Obviously, you you saw him a ton, both his freshman and his <clears throat> and his sophomore season. What uh, what changed the most about him? I think he became more confident, more assertive, and and concentrated on what he does really well. Uh, there was a, a simplifying, I think, of of his game, um, and he became a much more effective, um, you know, lob threat, where he would stay in that. Coach K calls it the dunker spot, um, that that short corner area, um, or he calls it the read spot. I'm sorry, most people call it the dunker spot, but he calls it the read spot. So he was really effective there in that short corner, staying behind the defense, and uh, and he could he could flash in and post from time to time. Um, but I think I think his assertiveness and his confidence level really really skyrocketed as he had success, and and he had that success toward the end of his freshman year. I think when uh, if I remember right, he had a, a triple double in the ACC tournament, and the last guy to do that was Ralph Sampson. Um, and but he's a type of guy he can come out of a game with seven seven or eight blocks and you have that many blocks you're gonna you're gonna have a lot more changes and shot changes and affecting shots and he really does that well his timing is excellent uh you know really gets off the floor quickly um and uh another guy with with really good second jump capability um not as powerful uh, perhaps on a second jump as as Paolo Bancaro is to compare two teammates but uh, there's not a lot to dislike uh, or worry about with Mark. It's just a question of, of how, how good he's going to be down the line rather than will he be good? He'll be good. Uh, but it's, it, you know, just a question of like, it's another guy where the floor is, is pretty high. Um, and, and then you, you have to try to, to project or, you know, if we're really honest about it, make a lot of guesses as to how, you know, how high the ceiling could be. And, and I think it can be very high.
So I've got another thing I want to ask, and it doesn't relate at all to what they do on the floor or NBA teams and stuff like that. There are two things about Mark that are sort of intriguing to me. One is obviously he has a sister, Elizabeth Williams, one of the you know great players in women's basketball. And, and also he has a, a personality, a really big personality. Mark is, uh, we got a chance to interview a lot of the players over Zoom over the past you know, couple of years during COVID. Mark is one of the most fun interviews uh, of anybody on the past couple of Duke teams because he's always smiling and always having a good time. He has a, a big personality on social media. So I want to combine those two things and ask about intangibles. How much does it matter that this guy comes from a family that is very involved already in pro basketball on the women's side? How much does it matter that he is a big you know, fun personality. Do teams consider that very much? When, yes. When, yeah. Yes. Now the, the family piece, it's a, it's a, a check, you know, it's a positive check mark in, in the right place that that only helps. Um, it's not dispositive of the issue. It's not like they say, all right, we're taking this guy because his family has done well in, in the game, but uh, it, it's certainly helpful. Um, and, you know, I mean, even if you think about, you know, Stefan and Seth Curry, um, because Steph was undervalued um, as a prospect coming out of high school and perhaps even a little undervalued coming out of college. I think everybody knew he was going to be great, but did everybody think he would be, you know, he would change the game and be the best shooter ever in the NBA? You know, I don't know how many people, people thought that. I mean, I look back on some of my draft commentary and I, I was pretty happy with the way I projected Steph Curry, but, you know, Seth was not, highly regarded coming out of high school and went to Liberty and averaged 20 a game as a freshman then transferred to Duke. And, you know, he's been playing the NBA a long time. You know, he's not quite Steph, but, but he's damn good and has had a long productive career in the NBA. So when you look at, at their family success with Del Curry playing so many years in the NBA and Steph and all that, it certainly didn't hurt Seth to, to have that family background. Um, and I think, you know, your question is, is good about Mark that, He's got a great attitude. And so when you have somebody in your locker room that is happy to be there, that uh, it's not all about him. Uh, he is comfortable blending into a team concept. Um, and, you know, he, he, there, there's not a lot to worry about on the personal side with him. Uh, it's all positive. And so th those are absolutely his, his makeup as a person and, uh, and as an athlete uh, is, is only helpful to his, uh, you know, sort of his cause there uh, of being valued appropriately as a draft pick. Jay, thanks a lot. We appreciate you telling us the uh, inside scoop on Mark Williams. One, like I said, one of the more fun players that, uh, that we've had around Duke the past couple of years. All, all the Duke centers are great guys. You know, you go back <laughs> over the years, you know, Coach K, he's a guard guy, but he's missing out. You know, the big guys are have way more to offer than, uh, than I think he, he, he values. Hey, hey, super quick to follow up on that. Do you think that our center's not valued enough anymore? I mean, I feel like there's a time when Mark Williams, rather than us talking about, oh, he'll go around number 10, we would have been talking, oh, Mark Williams is a top five pick because centers are so important. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point. It, it has changed. It's kind of like running backs in the NFL. Um, they're valuable when they're valuable, and uh, and but in the in the draft process, sometimes I think you're right that uh, you know you have certain guys, but but we have seen centers drafted high that haven't done quite as well. 
Um, but, but that's part of the game has changed. It is not the same type of, you know, low post anchor, uh, type of things, but he can, he can help anchor a defense, but it's not, it's not going to be like, you know, Bob Lanier and Kareem going at each other in the, in the low post that, that, that the, those days are pretty much over. It doesn't mean you can't be effective going into the post from time to time, but, uh, but you know, big guys aren't going to be in there clogging it up anymore. That's, that's not the way the game's played anymore. Bob Lanier and Kareem. I love the hearkening back to you're in my era, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to do that from time to time, man. But, but you know, the, the, those are those really are the old days. It's like talking about punting and hit and run and baseball. You know, that doesn't that's not the way it's played anymore. I love it. You're an expert on many sports. Thanks a lot, Jay. Thank you, guys. All right, guys, so let's talk a little bit about what Jay had to say and about what we all think about Mark Williams. I'll tell you right off the bat, there was one line that Jay had that I really loved. He said, you use the word yet about Mark Williams. He doesn't do that yet, but he's, he's someone who looks like he can learn nearly everything. I loved it when Jay talked about that. He talked about how well Mark moves his feet, how well he runs the floor, and that you just don't see Mark Williams' kind of length and athleticism combined together you know very often and um and and jay mentioned that mark looks like a guy who might be able to step out and start hitting mid-range jumpers and maybe even three-pointers guys i go back to the question that i had that i asked jay i don't understand why this guy isn't higher on the draft boards i see a lot of folks have him in like you know the end of the lottery i'm like how is mark williams not gonna be an impact player in the nba i don't get it donald what do you think He's the most intriguing player in this draft, all bias aside, because of that. Hang on, dude, dude. Sorry. A- ain't no way. I apologize. But uh, that, that, that kid from Gonzaga I, is, the nope. most, is the most interesting player in this draft. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I didn't say interesting. I said intriguing. Intriguing because, like you said, he is a guy that could be in the top five of this draft. But everyone, I mean, a lot of guys aren't going high when they are considered to be big men who can't shoot beyond 15 feet because that's not the NBA today. The NBA doesn't really reward that. And But at the same time, you mentioned the word yet. He started hitting mid-range jumpers well this past year. He started going out a little bit more. Did he hit three-pointers? No, but very soon he possibly could do that. And because of that, he, I think, is the most intriguing player because the player that you were getting today is a really player that you could be drafting a player that five years from now could be among the best centers in the NBA. That's what I think about Mark Williams. That's what I've seen in them this year. And every time people say, Oh, well, he's not that great. He finds a way to show that he can improve and become better from the time he walked on the campus at Duke to now he's become such a great player. He's grown so much. There's no reason to see why he wouldn't stop growing at this point this kid is ready to learn i think this kid is ready to become an elite player and i think we could be looking at him as one of the better centers in the nba the entire nba in the next five to ten years if he keeps on this trajectory but because of that it makes it intriguing because you just don't quite know and i think that's what teams are waffling a few weeks ago i was sort of thinking about mark williams's draft stock as being held down by the fact that he is mostly a traditional center, right? He plays near the basket, uh, especially on offense. Like he, he, he can set screens outside, but he, but it's not like he's consistently, he started taking shots 
uh, more in the mid range off the pick and roll later in the season. And, and he certainly got better at it as the year went on, but it's they not were like completely he, unguarded, like those shots, yeah, right, they were exactly. literally leaving him alone from 15 and letting him shoot. Yeah. Right. So fine that, that he can do that. That's gotta be like table stakes if you're an NBA center these days, but it's not like he was shooting three pointers. It's not like he's really stepping out to guard guys on the perimeter. And so what I was concerned about heading into the draft is, well, he's a great center. If it's, 15 years ago or 20 years ago, but it's 2022, how valuable really and how differentiated is Mark Williams in this NBA? And then I I guess I have to defer to Jay Billis when he says that NBA teams and scouts and GMs love talking to him. They love what they've seen of his progress. you mentioned, Jason, how Jay talked about how Mark Williams hasn't done X, Y, Z yet. I have to I have to believe that that Jay is right. That there, there's no, you know, there's no reason that Mark Williams can't learn how to shoot threes. There's no reason that he can't get a little bit quicker, grow into his body a little bit more, and and be fast enough on the perimeter. Not necessarily to guard, you know, the fastest guards in the NBA. I don't think you want Mark Williams like switched on to Kyrie Irving or Damian Lillard or or whoever, but. Uh, at least he'll be able to take some bigger guys out to the perimeter and not get totally lost, not get his, his feet tied by them. So I, I have to believe that, that he does have a, a bright, long NBA future ahead, and the shot blocking is already elite. He's already very good at an NBA skill that is valued. He is, he is playing great interior defense, whether that's blocking shots or just sealing the lane off from guys who might be inclined to go headfirst at the basket and changing shots has, and, and changing absolutely his ability has, to change shots is unreal he has a variety so of tools to make sure that that guys in the paint are not getting easy baskets and that matters a ton in the nba today also his mobility right like we saw so many times where he would block the shot or get a rebound and be the first one down on the floor to get the ball for a layup or a dunk like he has that mobility. He has the standing reach of Taco Fall, but way more mobility. He has, you know, the arm length, the, the wingspan. He has the height. He has everything that you want and all the little things that they aren't sure about. They know that they can teach him because, again, he has, he has shown that he can be taught and, and grow. So I think that's why I think, you know, he should go higher than he will. Um, but I, I just love the, the promise from this young man. And not to mention, as we talked about with both Paulo Bancaro and AJ Griffin, pedigree is working in Mark Williams's favor here. You know, he's got all these guys have the the Duke stamp of approval, but he's also got the big sister who's been a WNBA star and who has who has sort of helped pave the way for him. So you're sort of less concerned that Mark Williams is gonna is gonna go off the deep end in one way or another. He's going to be a great contributor in the locker room as much as he is on the floor. Yeah, uh, Donald mentioned the, uh, the the standing reach, the taco fall measurement, um, just so folks have the actual number. Mark Williams measured with a standing reach of nine foot nine inches, which is the second longest standing reach in the history of the NBA combine, nine, nine, second only to taco fall, who was 10, two and a half. I want you to just think for a second about a guy who can reach 10, two. <laughs> That's great. Like, I like that Mark Williams is tall enough that if you add Mark Williams, and my vertical, you could touch the rim. <laughs> there you go, just barely, right? <laughs> yeah, just like just. I don't know that I could dunk even with my vertical and Mark Williams's height. I don't think I could dunk, but I could get pretty damn close. <laughs> you get one of those tip dunks, you know. 
Yeah, uh, exactly. Right, I, right. Could, I could dunk a tennis ball. I could dunk a tennis ball at his head. Exactly. Exactly. All right, guys. So let's do the over-under. I'm setting it at 10 and a half. Is Mark Williams a top 10 pick or not? Donald, I see Donald really contemplating. He's thinking about this one. What you got for me, Don? And again, this is not where we would take him. I think all three of us have demonstrated that we think that Mark Williams may even be undervalued based on where the NBA is. But where do you think he's going to go on draft night, Donald? I think he goes 12 to Oklahoma City. Um, I think Oklahoma City gets Jabari Smith, and then they couple that by getting Mark Williams at number 12. Um, so I guess that's what under um, or I'm sorry, over 10 and a half. Um, I think that's what's worse, happen. worse than 10 and a half. Yeah. Yeah. Worse exactly. than 10 and a half. I, I'm, I'm, I'm in the same ballpark as Donald. I think he's, he's somewhere just behind the top 10. So I, I don't know at this point, given how close we are to the draft and all the, all the chit chat that's going on that I think he's going to go into the top 10. Should he? Uh, maybe. I think we've, I think we've talked ourselves into it. But I don't think that's what's going to happen. That being said, the same thing we said with uh, Paulo Bancaro, how, how Paulo might, you know, is probably going to go third in the, in the draft, but has a decent chance of being the rookie of the year. Mark Williams could go 12th or 13th or 14th or wherever, you know, late lottery and still end up being first team all rookie, maybe second team all rookie. Uh, don't be surprised by any of that from him. Yeah. So I really want, to say that he would go in the top 10. And like I said, I think he definitely deserves it. I'm just not sure that I can pick the team that it makes sense for him to go in the top 10 and play for um, because the, the team's drafting, you know, like eighth, ninth, 10th. I, I don't feel like Mark is a great fit on those teams. Maybe, I, you know, I don't know. Does Washington, is Kristaps Porzingis the future at center for Washington? If he is, then then. I'm guessing, you know, maybe the Wizards don't need a Mark Williams, but on the other hand, if they're not sure about that, um, I think that could be a really good fit. And that's, that's where he could potentially go, but I'm with you guys. I think he probably goes just outside the top 10. And I also think that in two or three years, if you do a redraft, you were probably going to see him uh, on a redraft. He would be like six or seventh at the worst. I think he's going to be one of the better players in this draft class. So with that, we're going to wrap it up on this episode of the DBR podcast. Thanks for joining us. Hey, as always, Send us those questions. We've gotten some really good listener questions lately, and we have used some of those listener questions to talk back to all of you. Write to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. For Donald and Sam, I am Jason. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Jay Billis for cluing us in. We'll be back with Jay in coming days to talk about Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels, all the dupies in the NBA draft. Until then... Thanks for listening. Here's the Duke band to play us out and take us home. Guys, how much should I pay for a ticket to the Celtics game tomorrow night? Uh, bad seats, I'd say up to 400. Okay. Donald says five. Okay. Good to know. It's like seven hundred right get, now. If five can't get you a like a decently shitty seat, then yeah. you shouldn't get it. Yeah, and they're like oh, seven hundred sure. now, but they've been dropping. Yeah.